Dealing with negative thoughts can be so draining. It feels like this never-ending process that just steals your peace and steals your joy. All you want to do is go about your day, see the beauty in life and enjoy day-to-day moments, but those negative thoughts just keep interrupting your flow. And before you know it, you're in a mood, you're in a funk. And what do you do when that happens? Today, we're going to look at the first step you need to take when you want to catch and replace those negative thoughts. The idea is that you do this so you can take back your mind and begin enjoying life a bit more. So let's dive into it. Hey, sister friend, welcome to the Shades of Trauma Healing Podcast. Do you want to overcome the wounds and impacts of childhood trauma that are holding you back in life? Do you want to get unstuck, begin thriving, and confidently living God's best in all areas? I'm Jenny L, a certified clinical trauma specialist, life coach, trauma thriver, and most of all, a daughter of God living loved and on purpose. In this podcast, I'll share trauma education, healing strategies along with biblical applications and motivational stories to support you in your journey toward trauma healing and thriving. So grab your journal, settle into your favorite spot, and let's begin. Last month, I went to a woman's retreat and it was amazing. I reconnected with ladies I had not seen in over three years. I met new friends and I had a beautiful spiritual experience. While I was there, I also served on the prayer committee for the weekend. So for me, it was a mixture of serving and being served. When I was at the retreat, I felt such peace. My mind was focused on God and what I was experiencing. And honestly, I did feel a bit sad on the last day when I realized this thing is coming to an end and I have to go back to -to day-to-day life. The high of the event started to reduce around two days after I came from the retreat. Around day two afterwards, I began noticing my thoughts were shifting to a less positive slant, and I knew I had to address them before they took deep root. Even though I'm a trained professional, it goes without saying that I'm not immune from having negative thoughts. I am so very human. However, my experience allows me to notice the negative thoughts quicker, and then I'm able to pull from my toolbox to address them as early as possible. Now, I know that I'm not the only one who struggles with negative thoughts. It is something I hear from other women over and over again. How can I quiet my mind? I just wish that my mind would shut off. Like me, at times, they just want to get rid of those types of thoughts and they wish they would just disappear. Sister friend, I get that. And I wish I could tell you that they do go away overnight, but more often than not, it takes constant effort to replace negative thoughts, consistent effort. The negative thoughts could come from a place of fear and experience we had growing up. It could be lies that we've been told by others, even lies that the enemies throw at us. And at some point or the other, we started believing them or letting them hang out in our minds for too long. Thoughts could look like I'm not good enough or I can't do that. No one will accept me or I need to be perfect for people to like me. 
If I try to reach out, I'll get rejected and on and on it goes. It can play on repeat all day, every day, like this nightmare playlist. Ah, it's so frustrating sometimes. The good news is that you don't have to stay captive to your negative thoughts. I know because I've spent a lot of time and effort addressing mine and I know that change is possible. Maybe you already have so much going on in your life that the idea of doing one more task just seems like so much. I can't say that it was ever really convenient for me when I had to take the time out to work on my thoughts, but I can tell you that investment allowed me to have less negative thoughts. And with that new freed up mental real estate, I had time and space to do and think about things I really enjoyed, things that supported my growth, not to mention my moods and my emotions were way more stable. And I think that was a gift to other people in my life as well. What I like about changing thoughts is that there are emotional and biological benefits and effects. Have you heard about neuroplasticity? Neuroplasticity is the brain's ability to change itself constantly by creating new neural pathways and losing the ones it doesn't use. And the neural pathways are created in the brain based on our thoughts and our behaviors. In other words, our neural pathways are strengthened the more we engage in specific behaviors or thought patterns. So if we keep thinking of certain negative thoughts, that neural pathway would become stronger. However, if we took the time to interrupt and replace the unhealthy thinking with God's truth, those neural pathways will eventually die. Sister friend, when I hear this, I am so encouraged because it means that while we are trying to change unhealthy thinking, we can be hopeful because we are literally rewiring our brains. And by faith, the day will come when we can say, I don't think like that anymore. And we will notice a new calmness and a confidence in who we are as daughters of the King. The freedom that it brings is just wonderful. Think of what you will do and how you will think when you're not constantly replaying or fighting those negative thoughts. Would you get more creative or would you laugh more, have more compassion, more peace? Would you start new hobbies or develop deeper relationships? Would you be able to hear God more clearly? The benefits are endless in my opinion. Now, does this sound exciting to you? I sure hope it does. I'm getting excited for you. Now, let's talk about the first steps in getting to this point. I will need to cover the whole process of changing thoughts in multiple episodes because it just won't fit in a single 20 minute episode and I don't want to overwhelm you either. And warning, in today's episode, you will have an activity to do that will take you some time if you choose to engage in it, but it is the foundation for what is coming up in the second part of this process. All right, let's start at the very beginning. The first step in addressing the negative thoughts is to know what they are and how they show up for you. When I work with clients, I use the distorted thinking list. I use it with myself as well to identify thought patterns and I'll go through the list with you. I don't think it's an exhaustive list, but there are 10 types of thinking or distorted thinkings that the list covers, which represents most of the negative thinking patterns that I've encountered. Before I go to the list, let's look at a definition first. 
Another way for framing or another term for negative thoughts is cognitive distortions. And cognitive distortions are basically irrational thoughts that could influence your emotions. It is important to know that everyone has cognitive distortions to some degree. You and I are not unique or alone in that. What makes it a problem, though, is when the distorted way of thinking is extreme or it occurs frequently, so much so that it impacts your day-to-day functioning, your beliefs about yourself, others, and even what you believe about God. Here are the 10 distortions. I'll list them out first, and then I'll go into more detail with some examples. One, magnification and minimization. Two, catastrophizing, three, overgeneralization, four, magical thinking, five, personalization, six, jumping to conclusions. And jumping to conclusions has two subpoints to it, which is mind reading or fortune telling. Then number seven, we have emotional reasoning. Number eight, disqualifying the positive. Number nine, should statements. And number 10, all or nothing thinking. Just by reading out this list, you may be familiar with some of them already, but let's just go through some examples in each category. And while I go through them, I invite you to see if you can identify with any of the scenarios. As usual, I invite you to explore this in a judgment-free space. Exercise compassion and curiosity as you go through this with me. Magnification and minimization looks like exaggerating or minimizing the importance of events. For example, someone might believe that their own achievements are unimportant, or if they made a mistake, they might think that their mistake is super important and all-encompassing. The next one is catastrophizing. This is seeing only the worst possible outcome in a situation. And you may remember in a previous episode, I talked about the ACC, the anterior cingulate cortex, the part of the brain that is like the satellite dish that is just tuned in to senses of threat and danger. This is where the ACC informs how we think and the thinking results in catastrophizing, only seeing the worst possible outcome in situations because the brain is trying to prevent you from going into things that could be of danger to you. Overgeneralization is the next one, and this looks like making broad interpretations from a single or just a few events. If, for example, someone had an awkward job interview, they may begin thinking like, I'm always so awkward in interviews. And this obviously would impact the way they go into any future interviews. And like the self-fulfilling prophecy, if they're thinking they're awkward, they may act awkward. And it all starts with what they're thinking, generalizing based on one or a few experiences. Another example would be if they didn't get the job, they could overgeneralize and say, I'll never get a job. The next one is magical thinking. This is the belief that acts will influence unrelated situations. So someone may think, I'm a good person. Bad things should never happen to me. As if being a good person magically means that nothing bad would ever happen to them. Another example would be 
real life would start if I lose weight or if I find a romantic partner. The person is thinking that the act of losing weight or the act of finding a romantic partner will magically solve all of their problems because that's what magical thinking does. Next, we look at personalization, which is the belief that someone is responsible for events outside of their own control. One example would be someone saying, my mom is always so upset. She would be fine if I would just do more to help her. Or another example would be going to the workplace. You walk into the workplace maybe 10 minutes late and your boss is in a mood, he's upset, and you think, oh, my boss is upset because I'm late. And then the person begins creating the story of how they can make their boss feel happier, how they can make sure and come and work earlier so their boss wouldn't be upset, when really the boss could be upset and it has nothing to do with them. The boss's pet may have gone missing or they could have had a fight with their spouse or their children could be giving them problems or the boss's boss could have just come down on them for missing a deadline. But the person thinks that everything that goes wrong has something to do with them. And this is what personalization looks like. Most of these distorted thinking comes from or they're formed in childhood. So if you think about a child going through a traumatic experience or living in an environment that is not supportive, as a child, they don't have the functioning or the words to make sense. For example, if their parents are upset with them because the parent had a bad day and they don't know how to regulate their own nervous system and they come home and they yell at the child and take it out on the child, the child doesn't have the capacity or they don't have the vocabulary or they're not even thinking that my parent is having a bad day because something happened to them. Usually the child would think something's wrong with me. I did something wrong. So I need to be better in order for my parent to be better. So you can see where this thinking would start depending on the childhood experience and it continues to grow with a person until they become an adult and everything in life is personalized based on what they experience. Jumping to conclusions is the next one, and this is interpreting the meaning of a situation with little or no evidence. And I mentioned that this category has two subpoints, which are mind reading and fortune telling. Mind reading is trying to interpret the thoughts and beliefs of other people without any real evidence. An example would be someone did not go on a date with a person, so they conclude the person must think I'm ugly. Another one that I heard in the past is sometimes business people, for example, if a client canceled their appointment, automatically they think, oh my gosh, they must be dissatisfied with my service, or maybe they read a bad review about me online, so they don't want to work with me anymore. That's mind reading, making up stories about what the person is thinking based on the action that happened. Then the sub point, the second sub point is fortune telling, the expectation that a situation will turn out badly without any adequate evidence. This could apply to so many different situations. 
simply walking into a room and because someone has been triggered or traumatized by social events in the past, they automatically think this is going to be bad. This would not end well. With little or no evidence, they may have had past experiences where things didn't go well and that is maybe brought into the current situation. But if looking at the current situation as a standalone event, there really is no evidence that things will go bad in this particular situation. But the person fortune tells just assuming or predicting that things would go badly. The distortion number seven is emotional reasoning. This is the assumption that the emotions actually dictate or reflect the way things really are. Example would be, I feel like a bad friend, therefore I must be a bad friend. The person doesn't have any evidence that they are a bad friend. It's just a feeling, something that's generated within them. And they believe this feeling to equate to what the reality actually is. Another example would be someone thinking, I feel anxious. So because I feel anxious, something bad is about to happen. There is no evidence that this is the truth, but the emotions is what is driving what the person think would happen or what they think their reality is. Disqualifying the positive. I have been so guilty of this one in the past. This is recognizing only the negative aspects of a situation while ignoring the positive. Oh, yeah, that one sits deep. It has been an issue for me. It shows up sometimes. I can identify it now, but that is one of the distortions that I struggled with a lot. What does it look like? It could be someone receiving compliments on uh, something they did, or they had an evaluation on a work performance or a presentation, and they got positive compliments, nine positive reinforcement, and one single negative feedback. But the person focuses on the one negative feedback while discounting everything else that was positive. Can you identify with that? Am I the only one here? I don't think so, but just asking. Next, we look at should statements. How many of you can identify with should statements? Things should be this way. I should do that. You should do that. He should do that. The belief that things should be a certain way. For example, I should always be friendly. Can you imagine, or maybe you don't have to imagine, maybe you know the kind of pressure and expectations that come out of should statements. And when we have should statements, it often leads to a lot of disappointment because we're moving from a, a mindset that this is how things ought to be rather than looking at things the way they actually are. There is a beauty, there is a joy in accepting reality for what it is. We may have dreams and we may have hopes, but that's different from always saying things should be a certain way. That doesn't give us the opportunity to evaluate things on an objective level. And like I said, it could lead to a lot of disappointment and the person goes through life feeling like the world is against them. However, a shift in their viewpoint to embrace and view reality could be helpful in shifting the mindset and how the person experiences life. 
Finally, we have all or nothing thinking. I hear this come up a lot when couples argue. You always talk to me like this, or you never do this, or I always have to ask you. This is speaking in absolutes, always, never, every. And we know that life is not that straightforward. No one is always good. No one is always bad. No one is always late. No one is always anything. No one falls in the category of always never doing something, if you get what I mean. This is the type of language that creates problems in relationships. And because it's a a distorted thinking, it also needs to be addressed. Those are the 10 cognitive distortions. How was that for you? Did you identify any of those distortions? Like everything I share in this podcast, it is not meant to cause you shame or guilt or anything like that. It is information and you can use this information to change and support your healing. This is just the first step in the change process. We need to identify what is coming up, what the negative thoughts are before we can replace them. Next week, I will go through the second part of the process. And in the meantime, your mission, if you choose to accept it, is to pay close attention to your thoughts this week. Notice which of the distorted thinking patterns are showing up for you the most. Notice what situations, what time of day, how long they last. How does it affect your mood and your emotions? Just notice. You can write down what happens when they occur if you find that helpful. And it's really important to stay intentional and consistent if you want to see the shift in the thoughts. And this is a simple, gentle first step. What you can also do is, as you notice the patterns, begin praying and surrendering the distorted thinking to God and ask him to replace them with his truth about you, about the situation, about whatever you're going through. That is all you need to do for this part of the process. I've put a link to the distorted thinking list in the show notes, so you can print that out this week to use for this exercise as you prepare for next week. Next week, we'll look at some practical strategies to address the negative thoughts. And I'll continue to share more about how I addressed my thoughts after I came from the women's retreat. Just to let you know, for those who want to connect with me, you still have the opportunity to do so by joining us over in the Facebook group. I will put a link to that in the show notes. And the Shades of Trauma Healing podcast now has an insiders list. When you become an insider, you would receive a personalized email every week that includes the latest podcast episodes. I will provide healing strategies, motivational tips, and biblical applications to support your trauma healing. You will also get early bird access to special offers and exclusive events. You can also use this as a way to communicate directly with me. Simply hit the reply button on any email you receive and it will come directly to me. And I love hearing from you. Send me any questions, any thoughts, any topics that you would like to hear about. And I would follow up by answering your requests. To become an insider, go to subscribepage.io forward slash S-T-H podcast 
and fill in the form, sign up, and we would be connected. I will also put the link to the sign up page in the show notes so you can go in, click, and get straight to the sign up form. All right, my friend, that's it for this week. Before you go, sister friend, did this podcast episode encourage, inspire, or teach you something new? If so, would you be so kind as to share it with another friend who needs help to overcome her childhood trauma? And don't forget to hop over to Apple Podcasts to leave a rating and a written review for the show. This way, the show can reach more sisters who need to hear it. Thank you for listening and know that I am cheering for your healing. I'll be back next week. So until then, take time to breathe and be blessed.